Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom. Hello and welcome to this episode of Image Bears Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. How is everyone doing today? I hope that everyone is doing well. It is great to be with you guys today, guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women. Uh, it's great to be with all of you today. I hope that your uh, week is going well. If you're listening to this on uh, Hebrew Nation Radio, uh, Hebrew Nation Online, Wednesday, then happy hump day. You made it all the way uh, actually past the hump, right? You made it past the middle of the week on towards Shabbat. And uh, you may be listening on Thursday, Friday, or Sunday when this show re-airs. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, I just want to say thank you. For all of you that are new to the show, just let me say a humongous welcome. And if it's your first time running across us, um, stick around for a little while, enjoy the conversation, and uh, become a part of the IBR family. We we love everybody and uh, love all the interaction and the comments and uh, the feedback that we get is really, really phenomenal. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, then thank you guys for sticking with us through the hurry hurricanes and the uh, power outages and all the stuff. Um, I hope that IBR is a helpful place for you to be able to come and uh, kind of relax and get out of the monotony and the chaos of all the daily stuff. Um, I do want to say, too, that we uh, usually post these to the Hebrew Nation online uh, site as well as to our website and our mobile app. And uh, I'm behind on posting those. I know I am. Uh, thank you for the slight and gentle encouragement that I've gotten from several of you going, hey, when are the podcasts coming out? Um, they are coming. I'm just a, a few weeks behind, actually a couple months behind, <laughs> if I'm honest. So those are coming. So just thank you for being patient. And uh, those will be coming hopefully in the next week or so. I'll be doing like a huge batch upload if I can get everything to decide to work right. And uh, technology is a wonderful, wonderful beast. So um, for those of you, again, that are kind of new to the podcast or that are just your first time here, I just want to tell you a little bit of who I am. My name is Joe. I am uh, the pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries in Southwest Louisiana, and uh, we would love for you to join us. If you're in this part of the country, come by. Uh, we meet every Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central Time, and uh, come by, hang out. We have a great, wonderful family that would love to meet you and, and love on you, and uh, we uh, have a great service each each Shabbat, and then we have Oneg afterwards, a meal together afterwards, and uh, so we'd love to meet you. If you're uh, online and are not anywhere near uh, the Gulf Coast, uh, Louisiana in particular, then join us on our website, on YouTube, or on Facebook each uh, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock uh, for Shabbat. Uh, celebration and uh, drop in the comments. Tell us, hey, where you're from. Wish us Shabbat Shalom. We'll do the same thing to you. And uh, it's uh, it's awesome. It's an awesome thing that Hashem is doing uh, in the midst of all this chaos and all the stuff that's going on. Uh, but we are thankful that we are part of the kingdom of Shalom, right? And each Shabbat uh, is even getting to be even more important than maybe it was before. As uh, as things get more tumultuous around us, we look for that sanctuary and time every week we can run into and experience the Shalom of the Father. So uh, we'd love to have you reach out and join us. 
us and uh, just uh, you know make some com- uh, relationship, build some community, uh, would be an awesome thing. Today we are going to wrap up our gospel flyover with a look at the gospel according to John. Uh, and so before we get into our episode today, let's go to the Father in a word of prayer. Avinu Shabbat our Father in heaven. We are so thankful for this opportunity where we can come together with uh, fellow believers and, and, and fellow thinkers about you and, and lovers of you. And Father, I pray that as we uh, talk about the gospel according to John, uh, that you would again reveal yourself in a new way. Make us more like you. So let me just say, before we get into our Gospel of John, um, we don't get too political or try not to get too political uh, too much. Uh, let me just say, not divisively political, I hope. Uh, we can talk about politics, and that's that's fine. When it becomes divisive, I tend to kind of steer away from, from uh, those conversations. But uh, here in the States, we uh, are in the throes of not really knowing who is our president and uh, all the election chaos and the, the counting that this is the counting that never ends. It just goes on and on, right? And um, I just want to say I addressed this uh, uh, Shabbat morning, and I, I, I want to just say it here um, as well because I know some people won't have listened and won't have caught it. Um, but to all of my brothers and sisters, all of all of you guys and gals out there uh, listening to, to this today, um, I, I know that things are incredibly politically charged, right? Things are incredibly divided. Um, I know that uh, Republican, Democrat, left or right, we both feel uh, that our side is right, and we both feel that our side is the future of the country, uh, the best future of the country. And uh, there is just so much swirling and chaos and so much uh, noise around us right now. Um, I just want to give a, a really condensed uh, hopefully encouraging and challenging word to us as a community of believers and as to the, the kingdom itself. Um, the political system is not our salvation. The political system is not our redemption. Uh, we have to live in it. We have to live with it. Um, and either side believes that if, if, if Trump is elected president, then the country is going to go in a bad direction or continue in a bad direction. If you think that or if Biden is elected, then, you know, whatever is going to happen is it's going to be awful. And, you know, the, the country is going to burn down and whatever. And let me just offer a, a word of shalom and just tell you it's not the country is not going to burn down. Um, will our country, whoever the next president, will it look different um, than the way it does right now? Absolutely. Um, will it look like we want it to look? Maybe or maybe not, depending on where kind of where your side is. But also let me encourage you that, you know, the country today doesn't look like what it looked like when you and I were growing up. If you're, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old, it doesn't look like what it did when we were kids. It also doesn't look like what it did when our parents were, were growing up or when, when, you know, when they were began their families or when they were in high school. Um, it didn't look like it when their parents, our grandparents. Um, and so, you know, these things, these things change. These things happen from generation to generation. And uh, you and I probably are not people who turn the wheels of power. We do our best and we do all that we can when we pray and then we vote. 
uh, the way we feel like we should. Um, and yet, even though the country changes and even though things change, um, you know what happens? You know what doesn't change? The fact that you and I keep living. Uh, and if, you know, if, if gas prices go through the roof in the next two years, then you know what? We'll drive a little bit less. Uh, and if we have to find other jobs, then we have to do that. Uh, or if racial tensions continue to be, you know, heightened and, and in a divide, we will deal with it. We are, we are, uh, created in God's image. And as his creation, we are, are uniquely capable of adapting as people. And that doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. It doesn't mean it's not going to be challenging. It doesn't mean that people's lives are, are going to be massively affected. Um, all those things may very well be true. Um, and yet people are survivors because of who we are, because of, of, of where we come from, and because we have the breath of Hashem in our lungs. We are people who will live and adapt and survive and thrive even. Um, and, and we are you know, definitely not the first civilization or the first country, the first uh, nation or empire to go through um, any kind of seismic change. And to be honest with you, I don't know that there is going to be a seismic change. I don't think our country would allow that. Um, is it maybe kind of like the, the frog in the boiling water? Maybe so. Um, but again, we adapt because that's who we are supposed to be. I, and I, I've been drawn lately to the book of Jeremiah. Um, a lot, it seems like. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah tells at one point, um, tells the, the people of Israel, you know, these other prophets are telling you that God is going to come and rescue you and that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be out of here before you know it and, and, and everything will be, you know, you know, rainbows and unicorns. And Jeremiah says, I'm here to tell you the word of the Lord. And, and the word of Hashem is that, um, you're not going anywhere. So, uh, I know you want to go home. I know you want things to be normal. I know you want to restore the, the kingdom of David. David Amelech, I know you want the golden age of Israel to come back. I know you want to get back to your land and to your homes and to the, the land of your fathers, um, but you're not going anywhere. So, hey, you know what you do? You settle down, you build homes, you build, you plant vineyards, uh, you make good friends with your neighbors, you, you marry and you give in marriage, uh, and, uh, and you seek the good of your city. And, uh, you know, this is, this is where we have to focus. Um, I know that so many of my good friends who I respect very, very much have spent so many hours and so much effort uh, looking into all the corruption and the, all the things that are going on. And do I believe there's government in, there's corruption in our government? Yeah, absolutely. Because that tends to be what happens when people get too much power. Um, good, bad, or ugly, read your Bible, right? Everyone faces this temptation of corruption. And yet, um, as, as believers, as just, just normal, I don't want to say average, but just as, as everyday believers, um, what is our job? Our job is to, to represent God well, to spread the gospel of the kingdom, to seek the well-being of our neighbors and our communities, and, and to bear God's image right where we are. Um, it, this is, this is what we do. This is what we do. This, the Sabbath doesn't change just because our particular candidate doesn't get elected. Come Friday evening at sundown, notice I didn't say Saturday morning, it's Friday evening at sundown, it is still going to be Hashem Sabbath. Um, you know, my good friend Hanok, uh, tour guide extraordinaire, best tour guide in Israel, uh, you know, said, Hey, you know, just because so-and-so gets elected or doesn't get elected, doesn't mean that, you know, you got to start eating crawfish and, you know, and shrimp scampi and all of that. It doesn't mean the Sabbath's done away with, doesn't mean any of that. 
And let me just encourage you too that the 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 Torah and the Spirit of God has has preserved the Jewish people through some of the 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 most heinous or maybe all of the most heinous um, uh, acts in in human history. And Hashem will will preserve us. He will keep us as long as we stay in fidelity to Him and to His covenant. And so. I just want to say that quick word again. Like I said, I don't want to cause any division. I don't. That's not what we need right now. We don't need more division. Um, but we we need, as the kingdom, some sense that we can step out of this this quagmire that the that our particular national government is in. Um, and, and listen, it's not the end of the world just because America is experiencing this, right? There are other nations that are experiencing issues, and then there's other nations that are doing absolutely great. And it doesn't mean that it's, you know, it doesn't mean that Armageddon is on the horizon just because it, in our little world it seems really, really chaotic. Um, and so just I'd encourage everybody as a fellow believer and as a fellow, you know, follower of Yeshua and, and, and citizen of this kingdom of heaven, uh, I would just encourage us all to take a deep breath, um, you know, pray, be diligent in prayer. And uh, but also let's let's do what we know we're supposed to be doing Uh, just because our political candidate is not being, uh, you know, put in the White House doesn't mean we start being mean to our neighbors and start, you know, uh, and stop feeding the needy and clothing the hung, uh, clothing the the naked and feeding the hungry and and all those things doesn't mean we stop any of those things. It doesn't mean that we stop being who we are. So that's my uh, political rant and soapbox for this episode. So (laughs) take from it what you will. All right, so we are going to jump into, uh, or we're actually going to fly over uh, the gospel, the Evangelion, uh, the Besorah, according to John today. So uh, we have talked about uh, the gospel's accounts kind of as a whole, and this idea that we have to respect the author, uh, uh, respect the authority of the author, authority of the author. Um, that Hashem gave His authority to these men to account for Yeshua's life, and uh, and and allowed them to be put in a, a canon in our in our Bibles. That's that's the providence of God, and so we have to then um, understand that that He allowed, He chose, He commissioned, He inspired uh, these four men to write these gospels, and that He trusted them to tell their story. Uh, he trusted them to tell the story of Messiah through their eyes, maybe is a better way to put it. And so we talked about one big, big, big word um, that has to do with all of these Gospels, and that is agenda, right? Each of these Gospel writers have an agenda, just like you and I. When we tell a story, when we tell, we're talking about Scripture, when we, we're talking about Hashem, we're talking about these things, uh, when we're talking about politics, right? We have an agenda, and to say that we don't is probably a little less than, than self-honest. And so all four of these uh, accounts, they are telling not four different Gospels, but one Gospel, the Evangelion. And we talked about um, that, that, that for some uh, fundamental evangelicals, uh, the Gospel is simply that Yeshua uh, was, was killed on a cross, he died on a cross, he was buried, and then he rose again uh, to atone for our sins and, uh, and to bring us new life. And that is the Gospel. Uh, and and that's, that's it, period. And yet, as we have done this study, we have, have looked at the gospel in a little bit broader category. The gospel that we see in these gospel accounts that Yeshua actually preached and actually led and talked about and modeled. And that is the gospel of the kingdom. And well, what's different about that? Well, it, it, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a, this, this idea that not that we are uh, at all minimizing Yeshua's role, but to say that when he said he was the gate, when he said he was the door, um, he's the door to what? 
the door, the gate to what? Just to eternal life. So does that mean that we pray a prayer and we get dunked and we, you know, we we're loyal to Yeshua, um, we we believe and we follow Yeshua and become His disciple, um, and then we just struggle through this world until you know one day we end up in heaven for eternity? I don't think so. I think the gospel of the kingdom that Yeshua preached is that He is the door, He is the entrance into um, loyalty to a new King and living while we're here on earth in a new kingdom. Um, a, a new set of a new kingdom culture, a new set of norms and a new set of ideals and a new set of of how we do things coming from the kingdom of empire where we step on people and we you know we minimize and marginalize people into the kingdom of shalom where we we shepherd people and we care for those who who need and so this this idea of the the gospel accounts each each man matthew mark luke and john giving the 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 gospel account of a new king and a new kingdom according to matthew and we said that his agenda was the mumser right those that are 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 marginalized and those that are oppressed and those that have have been uh maybe thought that, that maybe they they weren't what god was looking for or because of their past mistakes or their failures or whatever, they weren't uh, they weren't really you know they couldn't be in the kingdom they couldn't be in in the uh, the commonwealth of Israel and and Matthew says no I am that guy and I got a second chance Yeshua came by my tax booth one day and he called me and and when when everyone else when all the leadership and all the 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 holier than thou said that I wasn't worth it and I was no longer a part of Israel as a Jew. Um, he gave me a second chance. And so, uh, you know, that is what's available to everyone. And Yeshua's uh, life and ministry through the eyes of Matthew is, is he is here for the mumsers, for the marginalized, for the, the bastards, for those that are, that are not, saw, not seen as, as the, the ones that are in. So we looked at Mark's gospel, and we said that Mark was a Jew writing to Romans. Mark's gospel is really fast-paced. It's really immediately Yeshua went, and then there, you know, immediately this, and immediately that. And he's, it's very fast-paced. It's very quick. It's the shortest gospel, and it is for a Roman audience. Um, in it, Yeshua is presented as the victor. He's the best teacher. He's the best healer. He's the, he's the best competitor, right? He's all of these things. He's always the victor. And then we looked specifically at Mark's, the end of Mark's gospel, um, at the, the, the Passion Week or the time of Yeshua's uh, uh, crucifixion. And we looked at it in light of a Roman coronation. And so, well, what is going on here to a Roman, um, this, this, this Yeshua, uh, this Jewish rabbi, he, he, he's the best at everything. And then he dies, he gets killed. Like that's not, Rome would never buy into that. A Roman would never buy into that. Um, you would have him until the, the time where he kills. It'd be like plot twist. And so in, in what Mark is possibly trying to do is trying to say that, no, 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 this may look like Yeshua's demise, but it's actually his coronation as the new king of the new kingdom. Uh, and we looked at the end of Mark at the beginning of last week's episode and, and how it kind of leaves you saying that the women were, well, were they didn't tell anyone when they came to the tombs. They were, they were, you know, they were f- full of fear. And we talked about the subversive nature of Mark and how it would leave any Roman feeling that way. Like, oh, I'm buying into this Yeshua guy. Like, I, I think he's, I think he really is the, the Messiah. I think he really is the savior of the world. And, and then, but, but Caesar's supposed to be the, 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 you know, the son of God. And, and so it puts you in that quandary where you have to, de- have to figure out where your loyalty is going to lie. Um, last week we looked at Luke 
And we pulled a lot from M.D. Goulder's work uh, in the uh, book called The Evangelist Calendar and talked about uh, Luke probably being a Gentile, probably being a pagan, but being a convert, a Jewish convert, which makes him as Jewish as if he were born Jewish. And uh, Luke possibly being a priest in the Asclepian temples, uh, the, the Greek god uh, Asclepian, who was raised by centaurs and was taught the healing arts. Uh, and so, the, you know, you didn't have hospitals or urgent cares in those days. You had temples and you went and you brought an offering and the priest would minister to you for healing. And so Luke very well could have been uh, a priest or at least grown up maybe in that uh, in that area. Uh, at, at any rate, likely a Jewish convert. And that he wrote his gospel, uh, contrary to the way it's translated in the beginning of, of his gospel in his introduction, maybe not an orderly account because it's not at all chronological, but ordered. And what does ordered mean? And that we talked about it possibly being, uh, according to Goulder, a companion reading for the weekly synagogue service. And so his audience would have probably been, uh, you know, synagogue attendees and, and those as a companion to the weekly parasha that's read every week in synagogue. So that leaves with the Gospel of John. Now, oddly enough, uh, John is you, when when someone comes to to the to Yeshua for the first time, right? We when someone gets saved, or depending on what tradition you grew up. I grew up Baptist, so this is definitely the the case for me. But when someone comes to faith in Messiah for the first time, where's the first place we send them in Scripture to read? Right, the first thing we do is go read the Book of John. Right, that's where you start. It was always odd to me that we never said, like, go read Genesis, start there, <laughs> um, start, start there in, you know, at the beginning of the book. Um, it's not even at the beginning of the Brit It's four books into the Brit But we tell them to read the book of John. And I don't know why we do that necessarily. Maybe because of the imagery that's in John. Maybe because of uh, John uses, you know, symbolic language that we think is easy to understand. But John is a, uh, a massively complex gospel, I think, in my opinion. In my opinion. John is the most difficult of all four gospels. Um, it tends to feel more at home, maybe in most Christian circles, just because we're so familiar with it. Um, but but there's there's a lot of things in John that we that that have to be uh, looked at really carefully, and and understood um, and researched and studied and prayed over, um, because I think John is really actually the the most difficult gospel. So um, it's odd that we would give it as the first uh, th- place to read, maybe for new believers, and, and maybe we should kind of re rethink that. Um, scholastically, with scholars, I'm going to read some, some scholarly notes here in a little bit, but John is typically seen as the most actively interpretive um, at, at, out of all the Gospels, meaning that the other Gospel writers are going to give kind of minute-by-minute accounts or, or situational accounts, and they're going to they're gonna act sort of like historians, and we're challenging that a little bit. Um, that the, these gospel writers, we have the idea of the synoptic gospels, right? That together they make up the full history of, uh, of Yeshua's life or what we know of it. Um, and I don't even necessarily think that these gospel writers are trying to record historically, uh, historically accurately. Uh, or, or that's not even the right way to say it. But I don't think they're trying to be historically accurate um, in a sense of giving the details exactly as they happen. Remember, they each have an agenda. They each come from a worldview. Each of these writers have a story, and they're going to pick out in themselves, maybe even subconsciously, important parts of that story. 
So Matthew is going to see the way that Yeshua reaches out to those that are marginalized. Um, Mark is going to is going to communicate to the the Romans, not that part, because that's not what, what's important to a Roman. But he's going to communicate the the strength and the victorious nature of Messiah. Um, Luke is going to look for Messiah in the Torah, and he's going to he's going to he's going to look for where Messiah's life uh, embodied the things that we read in the weekly parasha. Right. So they're not really looking for historical accuracy. They're really looking. Um, more through through their lens and and again using the authority that God gave him um, John is is traditionally seen as more interpretive so John is going to give some narrative he's going to give he's going to follow kind of the the you know the outline that we've seen before um, in in similar way and yet he's going to interpret more he's going to actively interpret as he's writing instead of just writing down kind of what he saw or what his view of it was and then letting the reader interpret he's going to kind of do that for for us, um, and and that's the way generally scholars have seen. Um, so, so a difficult gospel uh, that we won't really get into the weeds in a whole lot. But I just want to do this overview as we kind of approach it. A, a difficult gospel that we probably shouldn't give to new believers, uh, and one that is is more actively interpretive, not no so much as concerned with historical accuracy or chronological accuracy. As having again, John has an agenda. When we come back from the other side, on the other side of this break, we'll talk about what's John, John's audience and what his agenda is right after break. Don't go away, come right back. Shalom. Hey guys, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bears Radio. So we are talking about the gospel according to John or Yohanan and um, talking about what is John's agenda and what is who is John's audience. So if we, we just think back a little bit. When, uh, as Yeshua is is develop, putting together and developing and ministering uh, and and living out his doing his ministry, doing his thing, um, he has a group of people around him called a havara, and a havara is generally kind of like the rabbinic idea of a, a group of disciples, right? Uh, a, a group of students. Um, a havara. My my temple teacher, um, Joseph Good. Uh, at Hatikva, Hatikva Ministries. Hatikva means the hope. Um, also the Name of the Israeli national anthem. Uh, he has a uh, a weekly havara on Facebook, and I would really encourage you guys to go and check it out. We usually we try to share it every week, um, and uh, on our our Out of Ashes Facebook page. But you can go to Hatikva Ministries, uh, and you can find it there. And it's a weekly um, discipleship type of group, a week, weekly study, and he calls it the havara. Um, and so Yeshua has a group, uh, has a Havara. His Havara has 12, right, students, 12 Talmidim, 12 disciples in it. 
And um, in any rabbinic havara, um, you're going to have a wide kind of age age range, a group of, of kids, uh, usually, I say kids, seriously, usually teenagers. Um, and in that group, you're always going to have usually an eldest who that eldest gets the closest. He, he's the one that, that spends more time, sees more intimate kind of behind-the-scenes stuff of the rabbi's life. Um, he's also one who is generally trusted more with more responsibility. Um, he's the one that also the younger disciples look up to um, as, as the one who follows the rabbi more closely and is more intimate you know, in that, in that setting, in that relationship. Um, and so we know who that is for Yeshua, of course. That is Kifa. Are, are, are Peter, um, and Peter is is the um, he ends up becoming kind of the the pastor or the the leader. He's given the kings to the kingdom, right? And he becomes kind of the leader of the 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 new messianic movement or the you know the the church, quote unquote, we would call it. Um, but he becomes the 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 leader, the one who Yeshua gives and hands off the keys to to say, okay, like you're in charge. You you're you got the uh, you know. You get the conch. That's a Lord of the Rings, uh, Lord of the Flies. <laughs> no, never mind. Uh, you're you're the one that in charge. That's in charge, right? I'm leaving, and you're in charge. Uh, but there are two others that are mentioned all throughout the Gospels as being kind of the, the closer part of that havara. So they are Peter. James and John. Now there's a lot of debate and a lot of discussion about who are the James and John. Are they the sons of Zebedee is kind of who we think about. Um, either way, it doesn't matter um, as for our conversation. I mean, it's interesting and it, it is, it does matter as far as a study point goes, but for our conversation, um, Peter, James, and John are the three that are uh, closest to Yeshua, right? He, the, they, are, they are the ones that are that are the the, the older, probably, and uh, and that are kind of taken away when everybody else is kind of hanging out. He takes them and he talks to them a lot, kind of by themselves, right? Which just shows us that thing. So um, Peter is given the keys to the kingdom, and Peter is kind of the 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 pastor at large. He's the pastor of the the whole kind of general movement, and then um, we have. Uh, we have James, uh, Yeshua said, um, you'll be my witnesses where, when he gives the great, what we call the great commission, uh, you'll be my witnesses where first place is in Jerusalem, right? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? So, um, the, the, this whole thing starts in Jerusalem, the, the, the first church, if you want to go first gathering, the first ecclesia, uh, kahal, uh, is in Jerusalem. That's where everything starts, right? Uh, it starts in Jerusalem, and then it makes an an outward move uh, as we get into the the book of Acts, right? Yeshua told his disciples, he said, you know, stay in Jerusalem, right? And then, and after in the book of Acts, after the Spirit comes and things begin to move outward, and and then fulfilling, beginning to fulfill the great commission that we have uh, uh, earlier. So, um. James is the pastor of the, of the Kahal in Jerusalem. He's the pastor of the, the gathering in Jerusalem. He's the one that's over over Jerusalem as kind of as the, the center of this new movement and this new birthing. Um, James, well, let's, before we get to James, there is a, an apostle that finds himself on the road to Damascus, right? And he, he gets visited by Messiah, he says, and, the, and, and he, is, uh, he is called to be an apostle and where does Paul go? This man, Paul or Sha- Shaul, 
uh, where does he go? He is commissioned to go to the Gentiles. Well, where are the Gentiles? Well, in his day and age, they are in Asia and Asia Minor. Well, where is Asia and Asia Minor? Um, this is the coast of Turkey, is, is what is thought, what is known as Asia. And then as you go inland into kind of Turkey proper, that is known as Asia Minor, right? So this is mostly the area of modern day Turkey, maybe a little bit Saudi Arabia, uh, maybe a little bit, you know, Jordan, that area, but mostly the area of of Turkey. Uh, we see these cities listed in the book of Revelation, right? This is Asia, Asia Minor, that area. And so John is the pastor to Asia. Um, what we what we have is uh, in Asia, we want to talk about who is John's audience. So obviously John is Jewish, but who is his audience, right? Because audience, as we've seen, plays a major role in how these authors write their gospels and how these authors um, communicate, right? So Mark is a Jew writing to Jews. Um, he's writing a subversion maybe against kind of the leadership in the Jewish community because they're the ones who have oppressed and marginalized. But he's also writing his gospel to those Jews who have been oppressed and marginalized, right? And so his audience is not only his viewpoint and his experiences, but his audience is going to determine a big part of how he writes uh, and, and who he writes to. Um, if we look at Mark, right, Mark's audience is completely uh, driving the way he writes as it being, you know, those those pockets of the Roman Empire where where they are looking and they are, they would be receptive to to this message. Um, Luke's audience, we would say, you know, would have been kind of like that synagogue audience or those those synagogue um, observing Jews, those Shabbat observing Jews uh, that are faithful to synagogue and faithful to the to the you know, Parsha cycle, um, both the, the Parsha, which is done the the whole Torah in a year, uh, and the Haftarah, which has done all the prophets within a uh, three years time period. So um, the the audience is going to drive um, the the narrative a lot, and and this is not again. This doesn't. I don't want anybody to think this is. I'm trying to say, well, this changes the gospel. It doesn't change the gospel, and it doesn't mean that what is recorded didn't actually actually happen. What it does mean is that um, these authors are effective communicators. And they understand that just like you and I, we can't talk to, um, I think last week I used the, the term of, you know, in the kind of the political world, but, uh, you know, a politician in, in the boroughs of New York is not going to campaign the same way some will, someone will on the levees of South Louisiana. Like it just doesn't work the same way because we're not talking to the same group of people. They don't have the same experiences or worldview. And in a lot of ways, they don't even have the same, uh, the same, uh, language constraints or, or you know, linguistic liberties. There's, there's just a different way of, uh, way of life in those areas, and so that is a very driving factor even for us uh, today. And and so it's not not anything that changes the truth. Uh, it it just it, it's uh it's the, the authority to communicate and the the brilliance to know who your audience is. If you don't know who your audience is, you're not a very good communicator. So we have uh, Paul going out and and starting these churches in Asia, and then John becoming the pastor to Asia. Now, scholars will report that um, there very well could have been a large Jewish population in Asia, in, in Asia, Asia Minor, in the area of Turkey, um, and up to upwards of like maybe 20%, maybe even a little bit higher than that, of, of the population being Jewish. So think about, um, think about the, the population. If you're, if you're Jewish, um, you're, you're probably going to want to be in Jerusalem or in, you know, in, in the land at least, um, even though it's under Roman occupation. 
you're still going to want to be maybe in your your ancestral lands or close to you know at least in within close to the the temple you know where it's it's not hard to get to and yet these these Jewish population finds themselves in Asia Asia Minor and so what knowing what we know about the Jewish responses to Hellenism and those five responses we talked about several months ago uh now I guess who what group of Jews can we say probably pretty safely are in uh in Asia Asia Minor what what type of Jews are there? Probably Herodians, right? Probably these Hellenistic Jews that, that are, are probably maybe still observant at, at some point, and yet they are very much tied into and, and living within the culture um, of Greece and, of, and of now of Rome, this Greco-Roman culture. And, and they, they believe, by their, just by the, the, the way that they live, they believe uh, their worldview is that you can have both. You can have a covenant with God. You can be uh, you know, the covenant people of God, but you can also joy, enjoy the culture of, of other nations. You can enjoy you know, a little mythology and a, and a little bit of food and a little bit of art and a little bit of entertainment and some theater and some athletics and you know you can enjoy these things um, and not and still be in fidelity to the covenant and not be compromised from the covenant. Now I know you know we was oh well of course not we know that doesn't work really we're Western American Christians like do you know this is us look at a mirror this is a lot of us um, or let's just say it's not us listening to this radio show because I know this is none of you it's it's some people you know right some family some people you <laughs> anyway um, so John has as a pastor we know that John loves. He loves his people. He loves the people that he has sent to. Um, and, and I think it's in First John, uh, which again, there's discrepancy and dispute on which John is who. But First John, uh, chapter one, verses one through four, he he he's pouring out his heart. You know, and talking about the 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 miraculous thing that we've that we've been shown, and that that he wants everybody to to understand. He has a heart for his audience. He has a heart for the people. He is in all in, in all points of fact a true shepherd. And so he doesn't want to give uh, this group, a, he doesn't want to give them Matthew's gospel, maybe. Um, he doesn't, you know, because Matthew's gospel is not going to speak to them. He, maybe he doesn't want to give them Mark's gospel. Even though they're Roman, they're not in Rome, they're actually further from Rome than, than Israel is. And as you get further from Rome, um, you know, there's, if you look at maps of these different cities and different things, if you look in Rome, um, things like the Pantheon and the, the religious, the cultic side of Rome is actually really small. Um, what's really large is the government side. The government side, the Caesar side is very, very prominent in Rome. But as you get out further into Asia, Asia Minor, um, things change and, and what you have in those cities is the, the Rome, the Caesar worship, that stuff is really, really small. And actually the, the cultic religious practices are actually more prominent and, and are featured more and are more important to those communities. So just a little kind of context. There's a, a note that I want to read from, uh, this is the, uh, NIV culturally, cultural background study Bible. Uh, done uh, by Dr. John Walton and the New Testament scholar is, I'm sorry, I should have looked at this. Uh, if, if Kyle were with me on this, he could tell me exactly who it was. Um, Dr. Craig Keener, I should have remembered that. Uh, so Dr. Walton does the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and Dr. Keener does the New Testament. Uh, I just want to read this. The, it's called The Situation as the Introduction to the Gospel of John. Uh, and it talks about the Roman, after the Jewish-Roman War of A.D. 66 to 70, where the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, uh, it scattered many Jewish followers um, of Yeshua 
into more stable regions of, of the Greek Empire, right? So um, this is not only by choice, like we talked about earlier, but some of it is that people were just dispersed, um, including the cities of Asia Minor, so more stable regions of the Greek East. Uh, after the temple's destruction in 70, the center of Sadducean power vanished, and educated Pharisees competed with other groups, such as the populist followers of Yeshua, for the people's allegiance. And you'll notice in John's Gospel um, that he talks about the Pharisees a lot, right? So what happens is the Sadducees that control the temple, they are dispersed. Uh, they're, they, they control the temple. The temple's destroyed. Well, the Sadducees basically kind of go into non-existence. Uh, over over the next several uh, you know decades and, and centuries, and so the Pharisees kind of take that that mantle and and they become they are vying for the people's loyalty um, in fidelity to the covenant, and so uh, the note goes on to say uh, that uh, there's in some places the rivalry uh, for control led to efforts to make Jewish believers unwelcome Jewish believers in Messiah unwelcome in synagogues. Uh, later Jewish sources speak of rabbis' conflicts with followers of Yeshua and indicate that uh, they some added a curse against them, uh, which normally included you know messianic believers uh, into their regular prayers. So, and we read that in some of the traditional uh, rabbinic literature. Um, this goes on to say that in the 90s, which is when scholars believe that the book of John was written, in the 90s, cities in Asia Minor increasing, increasingly accommodated uh, the veneration of the emperor Domitian, right, the Caesar, Domitian as divine, uh, and Jews were ex- exempt uh, from the imperial cult. But if Christians were disbarred from some synagogues, their refusal to participate in civic acts honoring the emperor may have been viewed as disloyal. Uh, against considerable social pressure, then John urges his audience to stand firm in recognizing uh, Messiah as both the fulfillment of Jewish hopes and the ultimate Lord. And so what's important about that is that you have this this in-between crowd. Um, you have this this in-between crowd who uh, some were maybe still practicing Jews, uh, some were uh, Jewish believers in Messiah, and they maybe weren't accepted so much in synagogue, but then they also couldn't enjoy the, the civic cult practices to Emperor Domitian. Um, or to the pantheon of gods, right? They weren't going to worship Pan or Dionysius or any of these gods. And so they're kind of caught in the middle. And John has a, a love for these people, and he has a heart for these people. And so he is going to to tailor his gospel uh, to speak to those those people. So let's read uh, just, uh, we're actually going to read just a few verses in, in John chapter 1. And I know we love this. Um, and I know we, we make a, you know, a, a, all kind of sermons and teachings on this, and I want to teach it in a, a little different way. Uh, and again, I have to give credit to Marty Solomon at, at Bama Discipleship. Sign up for the podcast. You won't regret it, I promise. Uh, so he says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. So let's, let's just stop there. So if we're writing, if John is writing to an audience who is, you know, there's some Jewish, there's some Messianic, there's some Greek, of course, majority Greek, um, there's there's all these people, there's it's almost like a mixed multitude, where we heard that, right? Um, so John is writing to this kind of mixed multitude of people, and he, he, he fervently cares about all of these people. He's not just trying to proclaim Yeshua as a new king, but he wants to communicate in a way where everybody hears the message so that everyone can be a part of the redemption and the restoration, right? And so it's it's important to know what was kind of going on um, in Greek in, in philosophy and stuff over the last couple of centuries, coming into the first century. So, in uh, in Greek philosophy, 
they were wrestling, um, all the great philosophers and the great minds were wrestling with this idea of like, how does, how does creation uh, coordinate? How is it coordinated? How does it function? How does it stay held together and not just spin itself out of control? Like they knew that, that there were, had to be some constants. There had to be some, some laws that kept things you know, constrained and contained. And how does all that stuff work? So they they developed this thought of and this the study of this idea of logos well we know that in john chapter 1 it says in the beginning was the word now in greek that word the word word is translated as logos right um and so the so greek philosophers this has been something very very you know very very normal and very common to the greeks at this time they knew that there was this idea of logos something that um, that was uh, eternal, that was outside of terrestrial, you know, human carnality, uh, something that existed before and that keeps everything kind of together. Um, it is something that's invisible. It's something that's, you know, supernatural or spiritual or, or some of those words we could use. Uh, but it is something that kind of binds everything together. Uh, it is the reason why things make sense in life. Uh, and even when things don't make sense, it's the reason why things continue to be cohesive and, and survivability is a, is a positive. So if you're writing this to a Greek audience, and part of John's you know, audience would, of course, have been Greek, when they read, in the beginning was the Logos. And they would have all said, yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's what our philosophers teach. That's what we all, that's what all, all, we all believe. He says, and the Logos was with God. Well, yeah, that's the... That the logos is not God in itself. It's it's uh, it's something that you know that God uses or, or the gods use rather. Um, and the the word was God. Well, in a sense, yes. It, it's the it's the description. It's the nature of God, right? It's the 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 way God expresses Himself. So a Greek reader or hearer of John's gospel would be completely on board and go like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that makes, makes complete sense. Um, and then verse 2, it says, He. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was uh, was with God, and the Word was God. And everybody goes, yeah. And then he says, He. And a Greek listener at that point would say, no, Logos is not a He. Like, it's not a person. It's not a thing. Uh, Logos is something bigger than than He. It's it's something bigger than a person. It's 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 universal, right? It, it's the thing that actually allows people to be people. So it's it's it precedes people and will be after people, and it's above people. Um, and so they would have had a, a an issue with that. And what John's point is that no, Yeshua is the thing you've been trying to describe. Yeshua and his nature and what he resembles and what he reflects and who he is 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 the thing that you've been trying to describe. It's the thing your philosophers have written and, and, and spoken about for all these years. So to a Jewish audience, now let's read this introduction to John and see what it says. So in the beginning was the word. So the Hebrew word here would be devar, right, or dabar, um, is the, the word. But more specifically, what word, if in, in a first century context, what word would there be? Well, there would be Torah, right? Now, I know everybody knows that Torah doesn't show up until Mount Sinai, right? Until Exodus. Well, what happens all those, you know, hundreds of years before from Genesis 1 to Exodus? Was there no Torah? Well, thankfully, the Jewish sages and philosophers have an, have an explanation for that. 
and they talk about um, they talk about the Torah uh, being the expression of Hashem's wisdom, right? And 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 the the uh, the scripture even even talks about wisdom being there in the beginning. So I'm going to read a, a couple more notes from this uh, this particular commentary um, about in the in the beginning. Um, his philosophers employed logos, or word, for the divine reason that orders the universe. Right? We just talked about that. The Jewish philosopher Philo combines the idea with more traditional Jewish sense. Jewish people sometimes coalesce the ideas of God's word, his wisdom, and his law, right, all together. Uh, Jewish people sometimes personified these concepts, especially wisdom. Educated Jewish critics of of Yeshua's movement accused his followers of not knowing the scriptures. However, John replies that the believers know the full embodiment of God's revelation, the word, the devar, the Torah, made flesh, Yeshua, Messiah. And so this, uh, he go, they go on, the word, word go, the note, excuse me, goes on to say that Jewish teachers also said that God created through wisdom and linked God's word to wisdom. Uh, so Psalm 33, 4, 9, uh, 6, and 9, uh, and then uh, Solomon, well, Song of Solomon 7, 22, 9, 1 through 3. Um, this idea that, uh, that the word of God, strictly and specifically the Torah, but even bigger than the Torah, the wisdom that eventually was condensed into the Torah, right, is all the same things, not separate things. There are different phases and different levels and, 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 uh, and uh, kind of radial circumferences of the same thing, of God's wisdom expressed in Torah. Um, the, in the beginning was the wisdom. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, any Jew would go, yeah, that's what our rabbis teach. That's, that's understood. God used wisdom to create the earth. And that was communicated to us in the form of the Torah, right? Um, and it says, and the word was with God. Well, yeah, wisdom was, was with God. And, and the, the word was God. Yeah, it's the nature of God. The wisdom of God is God's nature, right? Like when we say that person is kind or is kindness, it doesn't mean that they are that thing. They embody that. Their nature is that. Who they are communicates that. And so for a, a Jewish person reading this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Every Jew would go like, yeah, that, was, that makes sense. That's, that's how we understand it. And then verse 2, it says, and he was with God. And any Jewish person would say, mm, wait, the Torah is not a he. The, the Torah is something completely not, uh, can't be embodied. It's bigger than a he. It's bigger than a person, right? All the things that the Greek would have said about Logos, the Jewish people would have said about Torah and about Devar. And so this is just a small kind of uh, small point to illustrate what John's going to do through the rest of his gospel. He's speaking to two different audiences at the exact same time. And he's going to cause them to wrestle with these ideas using the exact same words and concepts. It's absolutely brilliant. John is a pastor. He's a person who loves these people. And he wants both Greek and uh, and Gentile, G- Greek and Gentile, and Jews and Messianics to all be together in this one grafted-in family. And so I hope this is encouraging challenge to you as you study the Gospel of John. Shalom, shalom. 